Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutla Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chatha Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. Cicero shot him. Ella stated as her declining 91-year-old mind recalled memories aloud from her childhood. She was near death now, preparing to go home to her creator, but not without first reliving the event that had occurred when she was just seven years old. She was a child, too young to understand why Cicero would shoot him. But who was Cicero and who did he shoot? Her family looked at each other puzzled as their Choctaw grandmother attempted to reenact with her dark, crippled hands the horrifying situation as only her mind could best remember. And there in her bed, she vividly replayed it over and over in her head, her words slurring through the memory aloud. If only someone could truly understand what she was feeling at that moment. How terrifying it must have been, even now as she relived the sounds of the gunshot and the fear that shook the household. She would pass on to meet her creator soon after, the remainder of the story going with her. But why didn't she tell of this history sooner? Because of her death, it was the end of the story forever. Or maybe not. It would be 12 years following her death that the account was resurrected and the mystery of Cicero and his victim unraveled. Indian makes attempt to kill. That's what the Enid Daily Eagle reported in December of 1910. Cicero Coley was portrayed as a crazy 22-year-old drunken Choctaw native who had shot J.D. Anderson, the wealthiest landowner in Sulphur, Oklahoma, and his being white, while Cicero was native, made this tale the talk of the town and many other towns across the state of Oklahoma. When I stumbled upon the article in the Enid Daily Eagle and newspapers.com, I had to stop and say a prayer. Whether they could hear me or not, I thanked my ancestors for helping me to find this story right there in black and white on my laptop staring right back at me. Okay, maybe they did or didn't help me, but I thanked them nevertheless. There it was, a man named Cicero Coley, Coley being the last name of many of my relatives, including one Rosa Coley, who was Ella's mother. 
Ella was my great-grandmother, and her Uncle Cicero was the Choctaw in the story who had tried to kill J.D. Anderson. And who was Mr. Anderson that Cicero would want to shoot him? He was the so-called guardian of my great-grandmother. She was sold to him for a couple thousand dollars when she was three years old. And he was also the guardian of Cicero Coley, Ella's uncle, and the guardian of his brothers and sisters, and of Ella's half-sister, too. It's no wonder he was the wealthiest landowner in Sulphur. He had taken their land allotments, an act that ultimately led to Cicero, as he was coming of age, to fight back, shooting the man who had taken his and his relatives' land. The papers made J.D. Anderson out to be the good guy, and this wild Indian just came along shooting at him through the window one evening. Mr. Anderson lived while the town pitied him as being the victim of a gunshot wound by a drunken Indian. And meanwhile, injustice prevailed as these Coley family members were stripped of their allotments. My great-grandmother Ella had the right to hold these stories close, only to share openly when her mind was going, possibly trying to find a resolution to a terrifying ordeal before she passed on. However, she also came from a time in which her culture and language were being stripped from her and her fellow Choctaws. Talking could mean punishment, starvation, and maybe even death. However, in some strange way, I feel by telling the story, I'm in some way helping her to connect to her resolution and to throw her story in the face of all who tried to silence our indigenous people. Yes, great-grandmother, J.D. Anderson was in the wrong. The real victim was you and your uncles and aunts and half-sister. No, you didn't do anything wrong. And no, we will never forget you, your life, and the travesties you suffered. I promise to honor you by keeping your stories alive and the stories of many others who have gone before us whose families wish to also honor their ancestors. Keeping these stories alive is why Native Chalk Talk exists today, and I've been truly grateful that others understand this vision and are willing to also share their family history. Hopefully in some small way we're honoring them by preserving their memories and stories, the good and the bad. And today... I'm excited to partner with Seth Fairchild, a man on the very same mission, and together we're here to encourage you, my listeners, to think about your own family's history and story preservation. Seth, welcome to the show, and Yakoki for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, do this journey with you. Uh, very excited because I've listened to some of the previous podcasts. You do a fantastic job, uh, so looking forward to visiting. Thank you so much. And likewise, you've got some great videos out there of our elders telling their stories. And so I'm really proud to collaborate with you on this joint message. Why don't you tell us a bit about what you do to contribute to the world of ancestral story preservation? Yeah, it's a good question. I, we started about a decade ago at this point recording tribal elders and their stories. It started really as a labor of love because we saw Choctaw tribal members who had a unique history, such as boarding school, first speakers, and they were getting older. And we wanted to make sure that their story would be remembered for many, many generations. So we started our, our first project was with alumni of Wheelock Boarding School. And we sat down with about a dozen alumni and recorded them. And something that we do that's kind of unique with our recordings is that we actually allow the families to do the interviews. And what is so neat about that is, you know, it's not any of us putting a microphone in somebody's face and say, tell me, you know, everything about your life. We just set up the environment, the cameras, the microphones, and then we just let the families visit about different topics, periods of time, things in their family history. 
And so we started with the boarding school alumni. Uh, we've recorded first speakers. So over over 10 years, we've recorded around 80 tribal elders, a few youth as well. We also had a focus on veterans. But it, it's been incredible. And I always say, I truly believe 200 years from now, 300 years from now, when people are able to hear their voices, see their faces, I think it will be life-changing for many people, not only just to see their family members that have been honored in that way, but also for research purposes, you know, to learn about our our customs and our culture and keep those alive and well. Well said. And it's really exciting to see that too, because you mentioned how generations from now people can look back. If I had had that when I was doing research on my family the last 12 years or so, it would have made my life so much easier, but also more special to hear people's own voices telling about their stories, their ancestors' stories, and so on. It's just super cool what you guys are doing here. I love that. One of the things I always say is, you know, I can tell my children's stories about their grandmother, but they will never see her face. You know, they'll never hear her voice speaking, you know, those first person stories when she went to boarding school and those types of things. So, so yeah, I, I think it is a, you know, wonderful thing and just a way to honor our ancestors and show respect. Amen to that. And so you do all this through the Chetta Foundation, correct? That's right. So the Chetta Foundation is a 501c3 that the tribe started many years ago. And our main programming is in three key areas, education, culture, and health. And the story recording project is a piece of our cultural arm. Uh, We also collect artifacts that will go into our new cultural center. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, go in there today. Oh, very cool, yeah. very cool. So it's a seventy-five million dollar, hundred thousand square feet facility, world-class way that Choctaws are able to tell our story to the world. It is, it's an, been an honor to be part of it. But our role was collecting a number of artifacts over the years. Uh, we've collected about fifteen hundred individual pieces that will be stored at that facility. Just over the next few months, we'll be moving those into that facility. They have a state-of-the-art repository where these things will be preserved and taken care of for many, many years to come. And then the foundation's other arm, the educational arm, uh, we have given out almost $2 million in scholarships to Choctaw tribal members all over the world. Wow. Uh, we work with close to 4,000 donors on an annual basis, and it just provides an opportunity. I think the tribe uh, had so much foresight when they saw that people wanted to give back to the tribe. Those that had received higher education or participated in some of the service programs, uh, now that they're on their feet, they want to connect, they want to give back. Mm. And this provides them that opportunity. So whether it's monetary donations, whether it's volunteer hours, whether it is an artifact, we're here to allow those people to connect to the tribe in that way. So huge responsibility and a huge honor to be able to be part of that. For sure. And so can you give us a sneak peek of what some of those artifacts are? Or is Uh, it top secret? uh, Some of them are top secret, but, you know, honestly, it's it's things like, you know, baskets from the 1800s. It's documents, well, well preserved documents from, you know, really a period in history where very few of those things were saved and preserved Mm -hmm. properly. Or they were burned in a fire, which is the thing I always come across. Yes. And so um, for us, it's just a responsibility of making sure that these things are preserved so that they can be passed on for many, many generations. 
That's so exciting. Thank you for all y'all do at the Chetah Foundation. I first got to know you, so to speak, in the story of your ancestors when you did a TED Talk, uh, which I'll be sure to post on my Native Chalk Talk Facebook page. And I was glued to the video and was saying to myself, yes, we have similar missions to keep ancestral stories alive. And it really encouraged me to see that we're both out there with that same passion. So yeah, yeah, it's, you know, honestly, I think it's one of the greatest honors that anybody can have. But for me, I, I think the the neatest thing about it is all we do is we allow people to share their story, you know, just in their truth and in their way. And we just preserve those for future generations. And I think the main goal for us, we would always love to record more and more of those stories. But, you know, staff limitations and time and all oh, those things, right. you know how yeah. it is. can't get it, to all of them. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, um, you know, an honor to do that TED Talk. And it's been interesting. I've received calls from places in Europe where they're working on recording projects like this. I talked to a group from Ireland that has done a similar project. And so for us, it, it's just a way for all people to be able to sit down, record their story. Ours are specific to our tribe. Yours mm -hmm. are open to all natives, which is pretty incredible. But yeah, just a way to record that history and make sure that that's preserved for many generations. Awesome. So here we are, November of 2021. Can't believe this year is almost over. And this month is Native American Month, also known as American Indian and Alaskan Native Heritage Month. And whether or not a family celebrates Thanksgiving, they still typically will gather during the holiday season, eat some comfort food and spend some time together. And we have a message we'd like to share with our listeners today, whether you're Choctaw or any other tribe or any ethnicity. Why don't you start us off on that message, Seth? When you first reach out, this is really one of the pieces that excited me the most. As I mentioned just a moment earlier, I think our biggest obstacle is not having enough time and resources to record all of our elders. And so really a, a way that we can do that is by family sitting down with one another over the holiday, setting your iPhone down, hitting the record button and visiting with your parents or your grandparents or even your great grandparents. It is one of those moments that will be one of those special times in your life. I've seen it time and time again, where you will learn things that you probably had never heard before from your family. And especially if you're doing the one recording your your parents or your grandparents, they have so much wisdom, so much knowledge, cultural, non-cultural, all of it. And being able to sit down with them and record it. And this is a perfect time of the year to be able to do that because we will be together. You don't have to have microphones. You don't have to have all those things. If you've got a smartphone or like we talked about earlier, even a cassette tape, right. you know, something, hit the record button and just have a great conversation with your family. And I, I think that's a special opportunity. Much agreed. And it's the one time that you can actually have your phone at the dinner table. Right. It's okay. right. <laughs> but yeah, please, y'all, your children and grandchildren and great grandchildren will thank you. Not to mention, if your family members are willing to talk, I think they'll appreciate getting to tell their story. I mean, how many of us wish we could go back in time when our relatives were still living and ask them a million questions, much less record it so those stories aren't gone forever? But you mentioned even recording on a cassette tape. I did such a terrible thing that makes me cringe every time I allow myself to think about it. Now, my friends and I used to so-called produce and star in our own super lame radio and television shows like soap operas and mysteries, and we'd even do commercials. Uh, we'd record them on my friend Jenny's enormous 1980s video camera that weighed like 100 pounds, or we had cassette tapes at my house that my dad would bring home from work. 
And we could just record over the old recordings for voice only shows. And I still have them, believe it or not. They're good blackmail material for my friends. So I'm hanging on to them. Or, well, it could be blackmail material for myself, too, for that matter. But anyway, my great grandmother, Ella, that I mentioned earlier, my dad had recorded her talking about her story on a cassette tape many years ago. You can see where this is going, probably. My friends and I were recording a mystery show one time, and I pulled out one of those cassettes that said grandmother's story on it. And I started to listen before recording over it. I could hear her little voice telling her story. So I was certain to preserve that cassette tape, and I have it until this day. Yeah, I wish. But my 12-year-old brain or my frontal lobe wasn't fully developed yet. And of course, I recorded over it, you know, because a mystery show where we're pretending to be in England with badly done British accents and seeking after a killer who was hiding him in the fog was definitely more important than generations to come getting to hear about the history of my great-grandmother who was born in 1903 before Oklahoma statehood. Yeah, I deserve whatever hate mail I get from this. So bring it on. I just, I cringe every time I think of it. Anyway, Seth, did you ever record your family's stories? And if so, did you record a British mystery over it by any chance? <laughs> yeah, good question. And yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. I, I think, you know, even for me, the older I've gotten, the more uh, respect I have for recording those stories and how important those mm -hmm. are. So yes, I, you know, I actually w was able when I was young, my Mom had me sit down and I have a recording, uh, a little bit of my granddad speaking and here and there, you can hear my grandmother in there as well. But that's one of those interesting things because, you know, they, they passed away many years ago and you think you remember their voice, you know, right. and, and all those pieces, but then you hit that play button. It's like, they're right there with you. You're, you're that nine-year-old, 10-year-old kid sitting there. Uh, looking up at your grandparents and listening to some of the most incredible stories you've ever heard. And so for me, yeah, I truly believe, you know, even if it's not the best quality, even if you're jumping on a Zoom call and just hitting the record button, mm -hmm. uh, those things to your family will be priceless one day. And so I, I think that is so important. So yes, I did have an opportunity to sit down and I'm so thankful I was given that opportunity. That's so great. And I'm glad to hear at least someone is doing it right. <laughs> so I'd like for our listeners to learn more about you and your background because, hey, we're promoting our ancestor stories. We should at least share our own too. You're a fellow Choctaw and you were born and raised in Oklahoma, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, very proud to be Choctaw, proud to be from southeastern Oklahoma right here on the Choctaw Reservation. So I was born in Hugo. Uh, I grew up in Caddo and graduated high school there, went to school at Southeastern Oklahoma State University. Uh, right here in Durant. And when I graduated from there, I uh, went to work for the college, but mm -hmm. I knew immediately that I wanted to be a part and contribute to our tribe in some capacity. Uh, so kind of a funny story. I, I just printed off some resumes one day and went to a department that I knew I wanted to be a part of. It was called the STAR program, which is an incredible program. It stands for Success Through Academic Recognition. And it recognizes second through 12th grade Choctaws that get A's, A's and B's or have perfect attendance. Mm. And at the time, we got to spend a lot of time traveling and visiting with the kids and encouraging them and letting them know that we support them. And, you know, making those good grades and working hard or, or just showing up every single day, putting in the time, that's a huge deal. And so it was just a way for us to support them in that. And then went from there uh, and was offered the opportunity to help revitalize the Chutza Foundation. And that has just been an extraordinary journey over the past few years. I love that you just took the bull by the horns and went that's in it, there. Yeah. I mean, that's a lesson for all of us. You want something, 
go get it. 100%. And I love also that our tribe, they give opportunities where someone finds an opportunity like, hey, I think this would be a good idea or here's my resume and they listen. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a great tribe. Yeah. You know, one of the things Chief talks so much about, and I think Chief and our assistant chief and tribal council embody this so much, but uh, they talk about the Chutta spirit. Mm. And that probably means something different to everybody. But in my day-to-day role, I get to see that play out as generosity. Mm. You know, you get to see tribal members helping other tribal members, helping non-natives, you know, all of it. But I do think there is a spirit of generosity that even goes back to the great famine or the potato famine and the story of the Choctaws giving money to the people of Ireland and how, you know, almost two centuries later that is still remembered and it still impacts the world today. Agreed. And I'm a big fan of the Chita Foundation. In fact, they're one of our sponsors. And the fact that one of the missions of the foundation is the preservation of our ancestral stories is obviously extremely important work. I hope our listeners will go check it out. Just look for information on my Native Chalk Talk Facebook page. Or you can go to the Chattafoundation.com. That's C-H-A-H-T-A Foundation.com. And so this foundation really has grown, right? Yeah, it's been pretty incredible. You know, when when I first started, I think we had about $11,000 in assets and we've grown to over 20 million. And we support so many amazing activities, including the support that we have for the Jones Academy School in Hartshorn. We help with enrichment activities. And and if donors want to connect with them, we make that possible. Uh, Whatever their goal is, we want to work with them to be able to help that school. It's incredible. What I love about that school is that not only serves Choctaw tribal members, but at times will represent over 40 different tribes at any given time at that school. And everybody there, the staff, the superintendent, Mr. Morris is doing a great job. They care about those kids and they're trying to make a difference in their lives. So anybody that wants to connect with that, we also help raise money for the cultural center. So if people want to donate art, money to help with exhibitions, our exhibits, anything like that, we we help to make that possible. And so uh, working with close to 4,000 donors a year, everybody has goals, but the main goal is that they want to connect and help Choctaws, and we help make that possible. And one of the coolest things is uh, Chief, Assistant Chief Tribal Council, they match every single dollar we receive. Really? Yes. So if, you know, I have $10 that I can give to the Chetta Foundation, it immediately becomes $20. If I have a million dollars, it becomes $2 million. And that's a huge commitment on their part. But it it shows such a heart that they have that if somebody is going to give, they're also going to match that and, and give as well. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's great to know. And like you said, someone has $5, that's great. That helps. Every bit helps and it'll be doubled. That's it. That's it. Whether, you know, 50 cents, a dollar, I think so much of it is about the intent and why they're giving. And we just want to be here to allow people to connect to the tribe. And that's that's an important responsibility for us. Indeed. For sure. So why don't you tell us more about some of the stories you recorded of our elders via the foundation? Yeah. And I was kind of alluding to this earlier, but you know, it's, it's just been so incredible and, and humbling to be able to sit down with so many of our elders and hear their stories. And time and time again, what they'll always tell us when I first ask them if they'd be willing to record is almost a hundred percent of the time they'll say, I don't have anything interesting to Isn't say. Isn't that crazy? Yes, you're like, Are yes. really? And then later you're like, oh yeah, you were descendant of a code talker yes. and all these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's so incredible. But I, I think the most maybe honoring piece of it or the most humbling piece is when you sit down with those families and you allow them to connect in a way that maybe they've never connected. 
and our elders would tell stories that they've never, never told before. I'll give you a perfect example. I worked with the Youth Advisory Board, the YAD program uh, over this past year, and their director and assistant director and all of them had come to us and said, hey, is there a way that we can help out uh, with this project? Is there a way that we can use our young Choctaws and non-Choctaws to record stories? Oh. We said, absolutely. So we set up, got a Zoom call. Uh, I spoke to all of the all the students, kind of walked them through the process, which sometimes it, it is truly as simple as setting your phone down. There was one young lady who told the story. Her dad was in the military and she wanted to record him. And at first he, you know, was kind of hesitant, didn't really want to. And then finally you, you get your daughter asking you that you, you want to, you want right. to do that for her, you know? And uh, she said uh, that the day or the evening that they recorded, he actually dressed out in his full military gear and sat down with her. And it was such a respectful, honoring thing, not only for that daughter to ask out of her dad, but that will be a moment that, you know, he, he had an opportunity to tell his story as a tribal member and what his experience has been like. And it, it truly is an honor to sit down with somebody, you know, just say, I'd be so honored for you to tell me your life story or to speak about yeah. certain things. And so I, that was one of those stories that, that really stuck with me. And I tell people all the time, it's not about, you know, are you an expert in basketry or weaponry or uh, do you know our social dances? What we try to learn so much of the time is just what have Choctaws experienced in their lifetime? Mm -hmm. What has their experience been as a Choctaw tribal member? And those are those are sometimes those truly amazing stories that, that you get along the way. I remember you telling me a story about the last Choctaw execution and a story around that concept. Yeah, so pretty pretty interesting. We we actually had a family that reached out to us and they were wanting to start a scholarship through us. And we went through the whole process. They started a, a very large scholarship to us. And then just one day I was having a conversation with the father and he was explaining the connection that, that his family had to the famous painting of the last execution. That's a, it's a famous picture. You can see it uh, if you Google it or mm -hmm. it's, it's a you know, pretty prominent picture. But that was kind of an, an era where the laws were changing in the Choctaw Nation. And uh, he told me the story of, I believe it was his grandfather's grocery store that was connected to, uh, I think, the bullets that were bought for what led to the execution. Because there was a lot of, you know, heated discussion being had at the time, what direction the tribe should head and all those pieces. But he had a direct connection to that. And I thought, here was a this famous painting, and here's a gentleman who was one generation or two generations removed from that, but had a direct connection to it. And so what we did because of time, because of location, he's, he lives in the South of France. Now uh, we actually just set up a zoom call and we had his daughter conduct the interview, sit down with him, record it. And here we hear one of the most incredible stories we've ever heard. And it's, it's literally a daughter talking to her father. And that there is something so special about yeah. that. And so we always approach that with a sense of reference. And that's a situation, you know, we would love to have him in our studio with our cameras mm -hmm. and all those things. But because of the nature of the story and how special it is, even that Zoom recording can be preserved for hundreds of years. That was a really neat opportunity. And I think a great example of that the important thing is a story. You know, even if the quality isn't always that great yeah. or you don't have the opportunity. So even to encourage people, even if it's a Zoom call, 
that you're having or you're recording a phone call, it's so worth it. And we just encourage them to. Yeah, to you don't do need that. a million dollars worth of equipment. Right, just get exactly the it. thing recorded. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and explain to our listeners too about that whole last Choctaw execution thing. And if you were supposed to be executed for a crime, you know, how you had a year to go live life, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly would say research this and we've got a fantastic cultural department and historic preservation that could walk you through the story. But as, as I've been told, you basically did. If, if you were sentenced to death, you had a year to go away, put your affairs in order and then come back on that day, which I think shows a sense of honor among mm -hmm. the tribe and, and those pieces. But I would highly recommend people going to check that out because there are historical recordings of it. And it is a piece of our history that I think is well worth looking into. And this specific recording that y'all did is it's out there, right? It's, it's uh, online? Or? Really good question. So we have not distributed that recording. Okay. Uh, we are preserving it. And you'll get this, the, the toughest thing about the, the, the recording is sometimes the easiest part, you know, sitting down and yeah. recording, but then the editing and, oh my and all gosh, those pieces. Right? Yes. So what our goal, what we have said is our goal at where we are is we want to record as many as possible mm -hmm. and preserve those in high quality format. And then we'll look at distribution on down the road. Yeah. Cause I, I think there's also a huge opportunity for research on some of these stories when we have our elders that are experts in, you know, our basketry, True. our language, some of those things. So if we can record them one day, those things can really be uh, used for research and just uh, promoting our culture. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is very interesting information. And so, but there are other stories out there that y'all have I guess on the Chota Foundation um, website, correct? That people can go and hear some of these stories. Yeah, great question. We do have a Vimeo account where some of those have been recorded. We have some veteran stories. Uh, we have storytellers telling some of their stories. So interesting. It, it really is. But the majority of ours, uh, you know, we just kind of keep in a digital repository so that most of our time is spent trying to get these stories recorded. Mm -hmm. And then we'll look at the distribution and, and all of that a little bit further down the line. Okay. That's great. So if any of our listeners out there, if you or Choctaw elders, you know, would like to record their stories, check out the Choctaw Foundation and how would they get in touch to request a recording? Yeah, really good question. They can reach out to us. Um, really me, they can call me directly. We would love to record them. And it's one of those things, just like we, we had talked about how time is of the essence and we want to be able to uh, record as many as possible. You know, we need the help of their families yeah. to help do that. So even if we're not able to do it or if they live off somewhere and we're not able to travel there again, we just encourage that family to take that opportunity, uh, set down. And, and we can even send sample questions that we use during the interviews to make that process a little bit easier. Yeah. So that that's always an option. But yeah, reach out to us. We would love to record as, as many as possible. Perfect. And, and I think it's very important. You mentioned that time is of the essence. The next five to 10 years, they'll lose many crucial stories. We will lose those stories. And as folks are getting older, and there have literally been people that I wanted to get in touch with to do their stories, and I'd find that they had passed away. And it's, I, I feel like then their stories are dust in the wind. They're just gone. And, and mourning for the family, of course, missing their elders that have passed on. But still, I think it's crucial that we get in front of them those who want to as soon as we can. So we talked earlier about this being Native American month. And again, we're encouraging all of our listeners to use this time to sit down with those family members who wish to tell their stories and get those recorded however possible. 
Seth, we know it's one thing to get them interested in talking to us, but it's another thing to get folks to just truly open up. So what are the, some of the types of questions that people can ask their relatives? Yeah. And this is, this is always, I think, one of the most interesting thing about the interviews. We have about 40 sample questions uh, that we will use, but depending on the elder, we kind of tailor the questions to them. So for example, if we have an individual who is an expert in beadwork, we may just have an interview that all we're going to talk about is beadwork so that we can learn how they do things, their thought process, all of that around it. And then sometimes we may just have a family that just wants to record their family history. And so we we kind of tailor those questions. But nine times out of 10, especially when it's just a family visiting, they have a whole history of they've heard their grandfather tell maybe this story. And so they're able after one or two questions to just kind of go off the cuff and say, hey, granddad, you told us that story one time about the civil rights movement or the American Indian movement. And what was that like for you during that time? And so they have these, you know, all that historical knowledge of previous conversations. Uh, but like I said, we do have those sample questions. It, sometimes it can be uh, around the military where you or your family members in the service. Uh, what was the world like when you were young or in your 20s? What was your career? Can you tell me about your grandparents? Um, all of those things. But really, we just encourage people to have fun. Another thing we also encourage is don't try to get their entire history in one recording, especially mm. if it's a family. Just sit down with them. We typically limit our recordings to about 30 or 45 minutes, okay. especially if they're older. And sometimes we'll take breaks and, and different things like that if we've had to travel a long way. Mm -hmm. But we never want them to feel rushed or obligated or anything like that. And so we always try to be real aware of that. And so we've kind of found that sweet spot to be about that 40, 45 minutes, somewhere in there. And then the best ones, like I said, are just when families are talking to one another and just having a good real conversation, you know, sitting down and just visiting. I think yeah. those sometimes are the most magical ones. I think that really is a brilliant scenario because, you know, for me, I'm not a family member usually coming in. Uh, you know, they're nervous about the microphone and the right. headphones and yeah. all those things. So yeah. it's a really a, a brilliant way to get them to talk comfortably with their own family member. You once told me that there's a question you ask on the scholarship form, which is, what does it mean to you to be a Choctaw? I think that's a good one. So that could be another question. Or if they're not Choctaw, they can ask, what does it mean to you to be Oklahoman, for instance, or from whatever their country or ethnicity, et cetera? So great, great ideas there, Seth. You know, and that's always been one of the most interesting questions, because with our tribe having over 200,000 tribal members, we have tribal members that grow up all over the world. And so some of us grew up right here in the heart of the reservation. Others have not grown up like that. And so being Choctaw to me may mean something different from somebody who grew up somewhere else. Or even if you did grow up here, maybe it means something different to you. So I've always liked that question. What does it mean to you to be Choctaw? And so that one, that one is always in, incredible. And I know you, you actually, uh, you mentioned the story earlier about your great, great uncle just kind of an incredible story. Talk more about Thanks, that. I think so too. Yeah, and I'm yeah. a little biased, but interestingly enough, that story led me down a path that opened so many new doors too. You know, it's interesting. We hear that from so many of the interviewees that we have. Sometimes they'll even say, I've never heard that story. I've never heard my grandmother or my grandfather tell that story. Hmm. Those, those are really special. So how did it do that for you? 
Well, you know, I've spent many years researching my family's history, and really the goal from day one was to sort of give them a voice. Some people search for ancestral answers to fulfill something like within themselves or just for curiosity's sake, and no reason really is a bad reason. But my goal was to keep their memories alive because I felt like they had been just completely forgotten about. I couldn't find a single person on Ancestry.com or any other website tracing their lineage or stories, and it really broke my heart. I did find out later that there are like two people out there researching them, but their trees or information is private. So I didn't come from a chief or from any one of what some people would consider of significance. In fact, I didn't, I just basically, I came from a whole line of hoodlums, thieves, murderers, a lot of prison time in there. The good news is where normally I wouldn't have a photo of them, I'm able to see their photos from their prison files. So winning, but I have what I call an ancestor's wall where I've hung photos of one branch of my family that I've done all this research on. And my daughter hates that I hung the photo of my great, great grandfather, which was Ella's dad, because he did horrible, unspeakable things in his lifetime. So she hates that. But I tell her, hey, he was an orphan and he had a rough life and what he did is inexcusable, but I'm probably the only person in the world who ever hung his photo on the wall and, and he needs love too, just like they all do. Yeah, you know, that that's funny. One of the things we've always said our goal is is just to record history and, you know, those people's truth, uh, my truth, all of it, we, we just want their view, their opinion. And it's not our job to critique that no. or anything like that. We're, we're trying to record history as authentically as possible. And sometimes that's good and the bad. Yeah, no judgment. We just want to hear it. Right. And and at the same time, you know, I, I joke about coming from hoodlums, but I also came from some amazing, strong and tough people who survived anything and everything that came at them. And, and they also were very giving and they were kind people who were family and community oriented and they'd really give you the shirts off their backs. But they all deserve to have their stories preserved and told. So that's that's really the goal. Anyway, a few years ago, I had already spent years trying to find information about certain relatives and I had been successful up to a certain point. But then, bam, I hit a brick wall and couldn't find anything else. And after months of being in the desert, as I call it, where I was unable to find any information, I prayed to my relatives. I don't know how else to say it. It's not like I pray to them like I do to God, but just kind of like talking to them, asking if they would help me. Because, you know, honestly, I was done. I was tired and I was burned out from not getting anywhere. And I figured it was just time to call it a day and just be grateful for what I had found. And after I talked to them, I went to bed. But then I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep. And I was thinking about the newspaper articles that I'd found about Cicero and the story of his shooting J.D. Anderson. And I had recently joined the Facebook group Indian Territory and Early Oklahoma. So it's called Indian Territory and Early Oklahoma. I love that group in case someone wants to join it. And I decided to post about that story in the group and asked if anyone had any Coley family members and would like to connect. Well, then I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning and eventually pulled up my Facebook. And I had a response on my post from a woman named Carrie who said, I think we may be related. I have information for you. Feel free to IM me. And I literally started shaking because I really had put myself out there over the years quite a bit, making a fool of myself, friending every person on Facebook I could find from Oklahoma that had the last name Coley and Kennard, which is another family name. And some would accept my request, but most would never respond to me. They probably thought I was so weird. So to have someone actually respond to that post from the middle of the night just really gave me some hope. 
Yeah. So I have to know, did you, did you respond to her? I sure did. <laughs> Definitely. I was typing as fast as I could. And, and thankfully she responded back to me quickly because I would have burst if she hadn't. But not only did she know the Coley's, but she and I were related and her branch of the family was the missing piece I had been searching for for years. So like I said, just opened up this whole can of worms. So then she introduced me to another cousin named Cheryl, who also opened up many other doors as well, telling me about ancestors I knew of, but couldn't find any more info on and introducing me to many, many other family members that I had never even heard of. So the two of them had, they had actually found each other by happenstance many years ago too. And and they thought they were the only two people on an island searching about the Coley's too. And they were shocked that someone else out there was doing the same. So one thing led to another and I ended up hosting a family reunion of sorts where we could meet in person. And Cheryl brought a lot of family members and ironically, we all looked similar. It was crazy. But, and her mom looked like my great grandmother and she even knew her growing up. So it was just like all these connections that just came together. So for this reunion, for lack of a better term, we met up in a park in Sulphur, Oklahoma, where our ancestors used to gather almost every weekend. And we all brought photos. And some of the ones I brought were black and white pictures of those ancestors of mine having picnics in that park. And wouldn't you know, they also brought pictures from the same picnic, like different angles, but the same picnics with the same people. It was like so eerie and exciting. And it was like bringing pieces again of that puzzle together that just, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that must've been great. So, I mean, as great as that is, I mean, how, how was that? How did it make you feel? Wow. It, you know, I, all day, I was just between the emotions of excited and then raw and then sad for those who had suffered so much. But I really was thinking about how proud of us they'd be to know that we were gathering in their honor many, many years later. And I, I also just had goosebumps that day. I was thinking about how, you know, I had kind of prayed to them and said, help me learn more, help me find out more. Let me tell your story. And then that happened. And I don't know, even now I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it. But, um, but a couple of crazy things also happened at that time. I was living in Montgomery, Texas, just North of Houston. And my cousin Keisha, who is near my age, and I had met her through Cheryl and she lived only 10 minutes away from me. So how ironic that we lived that close to each other and I'd been trying to find her family. So, I mean, I consider her a dear friend of mine today. We talk all the time. So another funny thing that happened was I brought out a photo that my aunt Annette had provided and it was one of many photos that we have of our Choctaw relatives, but we have no idea who some of them are. So this photo I had was black and white. It was a, a sweet little girl who looks just like my niece, by the way. And when I pulled it out, one of my distant cousins, Rosetta, said, well, that's me when I was little. I mean, it's so yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, that's one of the interesting things is when you're dealing with those family connections and things like that, a lot of times it really does come down to putting yourself out there Truly. and understanding why we're doing it. You know, as, as Choctaws, we have, you know, this huge connection to a bigger family and getting to know about that side of our family. And, you know, sometimes it does take putting yourself out there, but it's so worth it in the end and uh, to find out that info. It really yeah. is. And I have people writing to me all the time going, how do I find my relatives? Where do I start? Or, really? you know, how do I find out my Choctaw side of the family? And, and again, I, like I said, sometimes it's called making a fool out of yourself and <laughs> I'm not ashamed. In fact, I have no shame. I think that comes from years of just 
I've been in software sales for years. If you're not willing to put yourself out there, you may not get very far. You got to take rejection and all that. So, but, you know, reach out on Facebook, ask people if they know people who know people with the last name you're looking for. I mean, heck, I'll even say it right now. If any one of my listeners know of any Coley's, C-O-L-E-Y. And by the way, not the Coley's from Red Oak. We know those ironically are not our relations. I don't know why, but but anyway, otherwise, if you know of any Coley's, reach out to me. You can find me my email on my Native Chalk Talk website or any canards too. Just let me know. There's my shameless plug. <laughs> well, it, and it's funny you say that, you know, because what you're talking about is probably a situation that many families may be going through is trying to figure out that connection and learn about their families. So I know you got on that Facebook and, and group and, and went that way. Are there other ways that you know of that people could reach out and connect? Definitely. I have to admit it sounds cliche, but Ancestry.com is amazing. I spent years researching before I finally gave in and decided to pay for a subscription. And once I did, I left light years ahead in information. Like I said, no one else was really researching the Coley's or Canards, but I found a lot of info from government documents that had been posted. And in building my own tree, which I've kept public, other people have come out of the woodwork realizing they're related to that tree too in one way or another. And it's opening up some additional doors for me. So, and that brings me to another thought. A lot of people on Ancestry are very private about their family trees and that's totally their right a lot of reasons to keep it private, but it's the very thing that also keeps these stories from growing and helping others to find their relatives too. So no judgment, but I'd like to at least encourage people to consider opening up your trees. It's a great way to give back to others who are also researching. Other options are Fold3, F-O-L-D-3, which is a great way to find any relatives who may have been in the service. And they do have a Native American section too. And um, also newspapers.com, which has helped me to put about a quarter of my ancestral stories together. It's a huge help. Um, just search for any name you'd like. And, and that's how I found the articles about my uncle Cicero and finally figured out who Ella was talking about and, and who he shot. There's also places you can go like Oklahoma Historical Society and comparable places in various states where there are folks who can help you. I've also been to the Fort Worth Archives and the National Archives in D.C. You usually need to know exactly what you're looking for to go to places like that. It's sometimes more appropriate for those who are further along in their research. So a lot of documents and information is online, but if it's not, you can contact the National Archives, for instance, and if you know the data you're looking for that isn't online, but maybe you have a microfilm number, for instance, sometimes they'll charge you a fee, but they can email information to you. What's still a challenge, though, is how much of our historical records aren't digitized yet. It's a massive amount of information that people are volunteering to scan and save, and it's a lot of work. But thankfully, there's a whole lot more info online than, than there used to be. Another option for those searching their Native American roots is to go to the tribe to ask, right? I mean, would you know more about that and how to share that information? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And probably every tribe is a little bit different, but I know our tribe even has a genealogy department. Uh, so when individuals are trying to research their membership status and things like that, we actually have a team that will sit down and help do that oh, with that's you. Great. Pretty, pretty incredible. And I always encourage people to start that process now, which is going to be more and more difficult down the road for your children, for your grandchildren. Mm -hmm. So go through that process. And also, you know, once once you have that historical information, if you find it or uh, if, it, if it's in your house somewhere, take that, try to preserve it as best you can. We, we even often talk about how, you know, sometimes our artifacts that may go into the cultural center one day, you know, sometimes those one of a kind 
may only be one in existence is in somebody's living room uh, or it's in somebody's closet. And so we always say, you know, those things are so important to our tribe. Reach out to us, reach out to the cultural center, whether it's an artifact or something like that, whether it's a story, these things are, are truly going to be priceless. And the more of those things that we can record, the better. So even, you know, as, as people gather info on genealogy and all those things, I think it's important that people preserve those as well. Definitely. And I mean, a lot of times we'll find that somebody wrote things down in a notebook and when they pass away, their relatives throw it all out, not knowing that, you know, there goes 25 years of ancestral research just completely gone. That's right. So that's why I think we all need to be logging information in the cloud, such as in Ancestry.com or whichever version of lineage recording you want to do, but make sure it's in the cloud. So that way, no matter who comes and goes, information is still out there. And by the way, those who are researching their Native American ancestry, I certainly know how challenging that can be. There are very few records out there and it can be confusing if you don't already have the history too and how information was logged and, and understanding what was going on at the time and about the Dawes rolls and things like that. So on my Native Chalk Talk website, feel free to go to the uh, Explore tab and then Q&A, and you'll find some helpful ideas to at least get you started on that journey. I'm starting to kind of build that up so there'll be more information over time. And while you're there, if you're interested in sharing about your Native American heritage in that same section, which is Explore, you can also click on Be a Podcast Guest and fill out the information. Switching gears a bit, as we've talked about these stories, I hope we'll keep in mind that these were humans. Sometimes a black and white photo can make them and their stories not seem so real. Or even worse, no photo at all can make it seem like their story was too far removed to be remembered. So many of them suffered things we'll probably never know about. And some of them had strong Choctaw spirits that kept them going. And that strength lives on in us, their legacy. I'd like to take a quick moment for all of us to think about and honor those who have come before us. Feel free to do so as we listen to the flute played by my sister, Stacy. Seth, before we go, are there any words of wisdom you'd like to share with myself or our listeners? You know, I, I think the main thing is uh, just, you know, don't put this off till tomorrow. Do it today. You know, sit down with your family members, record those stories. It is it is such a way to honor them. And I, I know I have learned so much and, and gained so much from the wisdom of those elders and being able to sit down with them. And the amount of gratitude that I feel for those elders and, and the battles they have fought and the things that they've done to put our tribe where it is today. Yeah. And we see our leaders today, a wonderful chief, assistant chief, our tribal council that are so committed to our people and all the employees of the tribe, all the work they do. You know, they display that Chutta spirit. And so I, I just a shout out to them. And just back to the stories, what you're doing is is incredible and priceless to record these stories and what a great way to to honor so many people thank you so much thank you 
And again, this month of November, which is Native American Month, is a great time as you're gathering for the holidays to start talking about preserving your family's precious stories. And if you do so, no matter what tribe or ethnicity you are, feel free to share any stories you'd like on my Native Chalk Talk Facebook page. Seth and I would both love to hear from you. Seth, thank you, and keep up the good work, my friend. Yako uh, Ki, thank you so much. Chipisalachki. Chipisalachki. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today, summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together, we build success because together we're more. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends.